Alexa, play the Fighting Irish Faithful podcast. Playing Fighting Irish Faithful. The holly green, the ivy green, the prettiest picture you've ever seen. It's Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. It's nice, you know, to kiss your bow while cuddling under the mistletoe. And Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. You are listening to the Fighting Irish Faithful podcast, a podcast that is blocked in Cuba, Iran, North Korea, and Syria. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Notre Dame is playing for a Rose Bowl. Tonight, we're going to break down Notre Dame versus Alabama. We're going to give a very realistic view of this game. Uh, We're going to probably uh, break some people's hearts, but uh, hey, you want tough reality, that's what you're going to get, because it's Christmas time, and we're here to... tell you that santa claus is also not real get ready for an up and down roller coaster ride tonight but pour yourself a drink anyway let's go irish three wide receivers right they're gonna go for two back to throw walks looks looks look has the time lost the ball the pass is set it down it's ran down by Curry. dawson close open receiver in the end zone touchdown Notre Dame. somehow the irish did it out of the pack, 30, 35, goodbye baby, at the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, bye-bye rocket touchdown, Irish. Zimikowski looking for a block, touch to the right to the 40, gets a block, gets to the 45, 50, up to the 45, 40, 30, one minute to beat, 20, 15, 10, he's down to the 5, touchdown Irish. What is going on, fighting Irish faithful, I am back. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And it is still Christmas right now, uh, but more to come on that. Thank you for joining me, everybody. Let's get the uh, social media plug, shameless plug here out of the way first. Twitter at Faithful underscore Irish. YouTube channel Fighting Irish Faithful. Fighting Irish Faithful at gmail.com. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Thank you for joining me on Spotify, Alexa, iTunes, wherever uh, you are finding me. And if you gave this podcast to someone as a Christmas present, kind of like a white elephant, um, hopefully I was stolen and not uh, given away like, ah, man, really? But uh, thank you uh, for making me part of your game week preparations your post christmas if you're like me i have this week off with work being shut down so uh yeah what a convenient time for me to get ill but anyway uh from the intro yes this podcast at least the last episode was blocked in those uh four fine countries uh i won't use the word that i really want to use to describe them because that would not be PC. But anyway, yes, um, I think it might be ZZ Top is blocked in Cuba, Iran, North Korea, and Syria. Something about people getting paid. Um, I guess that doesn't jive over in those nations. But anyway, who knows? The podcast was blocked over there, and that is the most patriotic American thing I could possibly think of. Uh, I wear that as a badge of honor. Maybe that should be like a t-shirt I, I wear. I am blocked in Cuba, Iran, North Korea, and Syria with a big giant American flag and an eagle. And all right, let's move on. Um, 
No, it's not cold medicine. Tonight, uh, instead of a uh, scotch, well, we are, I guess we're having scotch. Um, I'm a little under the weather here, but uh, so we just got a hot toddy going on, you know, some lemon, some hot water, some uh, honey, and yes, we put in a shot of scotch. So kind of a little bit of grandpa's cough medicine here uh, to help pull through this, but uh, we are on the up and up. Last week, I was actually a lot more uh, ill than I am for this podcast, so my voice is nice and low, not quite very white low, but uh, still low, enough to impress the doc. But anyway, uh, Notre Dame is playing for a Rose Bowl. Notre Dame, of course, makes the playoffs, and uh, this uh, January 1st, Notre Dame, Alabama, number one versus number four. Sidebar uh, pop quiz for all of you people. When was the last time Notre Dame played in a Rose Bowl? That would be January 1st, 1925, Notre Dame versus Stanford. It is also Notre Dame's first title win in for the 1924 season. So Notre Dame has not been in a Rose Bowl since then. Uh, with COVID and all of that uh, stuff going on and the uh, uh, governor of California and the city of Pasadena doing whatever they feel is right, uh, I highly, highly disagree with their decisions. Uh, but the beautiful state of Texas, uh, the Blue Bonnet State, maybe we're going to call it the Blue Bonnet Bowl since that is the uh, state flower of Texas rather than the Rose Bowl. And no, the rose is not the state flower of California. I'll let you guys do that Wikipedia research. But anyway, um, I don't know if it's actually going to be called the Rose Bowl uh, unless the college football playoff committee buys a license from the city of Pasadena or something. Who knows? But it's probably going to be, at the end of the day, the Camellia Bowl. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's Christmas still, and um, yet I don't want to hear anyone criticizing me about that because Christmas runs through January 9th. Get out your liturgical calendar, everybody. Christmas does not end on December 26th, all right? We're still going. Christmas lights are still up, right? The manger, Jesus was just born, right? I don't, I don't even think the wise men have showed up yet, all right? They're still following the star, all right? The alignment of Saturn and Jupiter and all of that. They're still traveling across the Arabian desert right now, still on their way to Bethlehem. So Jesus is still in the manger with cows and, you know, all of that stuff around him. Because it's Christmas and Notre Dame in their bowl game, of course, will have their names on their jerseys, which I'm a huge fan. I don't know why they don't do that all year. And don't give me this crap of, oh, well, it's one team and not just the name on the jersey. Really, like, who cares? Like, honestly, if that's really why you think Notre Dame is going to lose, get over yourself. But anyway, um, in addition to names on the back of the jerseys and Alabama, I think is the home team. So they'll be in their uh, crimson red you know, glorious Alabama jerseys, Notre Dame should wear green. And not just because of like the green jersey, you know, flair. I mean, yeah, I like the green jerseys. I wear a green shirt when I always watch Notre Dame. Uh, that's just me. But the green jersey in contrast with the Alabama red would be like very Christmassy. It, it might be a little bit of a clash for your eyes out there. 
but it would look sick. It'd look really, really awesome. That's just my opinion. They're probably going to be in the white, but you know what? I, I really hope that they're going to have the green jersey. If you can't tell, I'm a little more sarcastic tonight. It's because it is very, very difficult for me to be positive about this game. I've done the research as I usually do. It ain't pretty, everybody. And part of me was even thinking, rather than put in a nice Irishy Christmas song, uh, I was thinking of playing something like Limp Biscuit or the Beastie Boys to just go into my misery and slight rage mode here as I get into the Notre Dame versus Alabama stats. Held off on that because I think that's a little touch much. And though Notre Dame is an important part of my life, it is adequately compartmentalized and Christmas is more important and the spirit of what we're doing here on this podcast extends beyond this one little pot that is about to boil over with pure honest truth. Notre Dame of course 11 and 2, Alabama 11 and 2. Last year Alabama won the Citrus Bowl and Notre Dame of course won the Cheez-It Bowl, the I don't even know what that butt bowl that was. All I know is they beat the crap out of Iowa State as they rightfully should have. This season of course, Alabama is undefeated at 11 and 0. They just won the SEC. Notre Dame did not win the ACC. Wah, wah, wah. And um, yeah, Notre Dame is ranked four in the playoffs. Alabama number one versus power five teams this year. Notre Dame nine and one. Alabama eleven and zero. The four year recruiting. This is where it's going to start to get and break down. Notre Dame averages, as I have said all season, they average a ranking of thirteen point two five, whereas Alabama Nick Saban, they are two point two five. Alabama has a strength of schedule of 6 versus Notre Dame's 54. And this is where it starts to get really ugly. Alabama is number 1 in total touchdowns. They are number 2 in scoring offense. They're number 12 in rushing defense. And they're number 1 in rushing touchdowns with 35. Contrast the Notre Dame's 12, 22, 15, and 4. Yes, Notre Dame is up there with rushing touchdowns, but the drop-off is huge, and we'll go into more about that later. Now, Notre Dame does have the advantage on third-down defense and scoring defense. They're 6th and 14th, respectively, versus Alabama's 72nd in third-down defense and 20th in scoring defense. But they're the number 5th total offensive team in the country, and they're ranked 24th in sacks per game, They're third in passing touchdowns, fourth in turnover margin, and number one in third down percentage. Notre Dame is not even close to them on any of those categories. So the biggest things are Alabama's offense. They have a very high-powered offense, and the numbers support it. The most important four stats, total touchdowns, scoring offense, rushing defense, and rushing touchdowns, Alabama is is smoking Notre Dame in those categories, except for maybe rushing defense. But still, they average a better rushing defense than Notre Dame does. So it's going to be very hard for Notre Dame to overcome Alabama in this football game, based on the numbers I just showed you. Alabama is extremely good in the red zone. They rank 8th 
in red zone touchdowns and 11th in red zone overall scoring. Their red zone touchdown percentage is 76% versus Notre Dame's 59%, and red zone scoring 92% versus Notre Dame's 79%. Another way to look at this is just look at field goal kicking. Jonathan Doerr has attempted 22 field goals. Now, Grant, not all of those are in the red zone, but still, 22 field goals, and he's made 68% of them. Eh, okay. It's not great. It ain't Justin Ewan great, but you know, it's not trash either. But contrast 22 field goal attempts to Will Reichert of Alabama. He is 12 for 12. He is 100%, but 12 attempts versus 22 attempts. That just shows a level of efficiency of one offense versus the other. Think about that for a couple of seconds. And then last but not least, yards per point, the stat I always talk about, the efficiency. Alabama is 10.94. They are fantastic in overall offensive efficiency, yards per point. Notre Dame, 12.93. It is no surprise that team rankings is giving Notre Dame only about a 10% chance of winning and the spread, as you've all been hearing on the news and, and reading in the articles from ND Nation and all the other guys, all the other blogs like uh, One Foot Down, the spread is 20 points, all right? Almost three touchdowns. It is very, very difficult. And I think what's happening here is there's this overall mood, overall opinion, not so much of how great Alabama is, but just the disappointment and the expectation that Notre Dame is not going to rise to the occasion. The odds are extremely great, and for Notre Dame as a team to overcome Alabama as a team, it's going to be very, very difficult. Before we get into individual contributions by Alabama this season and Notre Dame and comparing those the individual players, let's look at Alabama's opponents versus Notre Dame's opponents. On average, Alabama's opponents are scoring 19.5 points per game in the SEC. They've played zero non-SEC games at all. Every single game Alabama's played has been an SEC opponent. Now, Grant, you've got some Mississippi states, you've got a Tennessee and a Missouri that have snuck in there, but regardless, those teams on average are scoring 19.5 points. Notre Dame's opponents are scoring 18.6 points per game. So on the surface, it sounds like, hey, their defense is not as great. But the problem is the scoring disparity, all right? Alabama is scoring 49.7 points versus their opponents 19 and a half. So there's over, what is that, 30 points? Alabama is going to blow Notre Dame out of the water because Notre Dame's scoring margin is less than 17 over their ACC schedule, plus uh, that one cupcake team down in Florida they played. So the combined record as well of Notre Dame's opponents is 54 wins and 62 losses. It's less than 50%.46%. Versus Alabama's all-SEC schedule has a combined record of 61 and 57 point five one seven so not only is the competition higher and winning more but notre dame's scoring margin over them far exceeds notre dame's so another advantage to alabama all right individual contribution for alabama alabama has very very good players 
and the there are two of them not including their quarterback mac jones but their leading rusher and their leading receiver have put up very very impressive numbers let's go through those right now first rushing Najee harris for alabama get used to hearing that name get used to seeing this guy he's fantastic he has put up 1262 yards in 11 games on 214 attempts for 24 touchdowns 24 to put that in perspective in 2012 when notre dame played alabama versus eddie lacy for the whole season eddie lacy had only 17 touchdowns now it's not as much as derrick henry but over the next two games Najee harris could definitely probably surpass or meet Derrick Henry's level of 28 touchdowns. Najee Harris, though, on average, attempts a rush almost 20 times a game, 19.5 on average, and scores a touchdown 2.2 times. Put it another way, he gets about 5.9 yards per, per touch or scores a touchdown every 52 yards he runs it or every nine times he touches the ball nine times he scores a touchdown are you serious compare that to kyron williams now kyron williams is great love the guy he has over a thousand yards but he only has 12 touchdowns he's got about one a game but it's not it's literally half of what Najee harris has put in the end zone all right also the amount of attempts required by kyron williams to score a touchdown versus Najee harris is double he has scored a touchdown every 16.3 times he's touched the ball versus Najee Harris's 8.9. And he has to go 88 yards every time he scores a touchdown. Now, I also wanted to compare these two guys to two other running backs for Notre Dame of recent years, namely Dexter Williams from 2018 and Josh Adams from 2017. Josh Adams had 1,400 yards, Dexter Williams just under 1,000. But Dexter Williams scored 1.3 touchdowns per game and scored a touchdown every 13.2 touches, whereas Josh Adams, every 22 touches, he scored a touchdown. And it took Josh Adams 158 yards to score every touchdown on average versus Dexter Williams, 82.9. So Kyron Williams is in some categories better than Josh Adams as far as efficiency, but he's not better than Dexter Williams. And Dexter Williams is not nearly as good as Najee Harris. And in some ways, Najee Harris is better than Derrick Henry and Eddie Lacy. So chew on that. This guy needs to be contained. He better have a spy on him. We better have someone from the end rushing so he doesn't get outside. And then an inside linebacker like a Drew White or something spying him and just staying on his ass all right otherwise he's gonna smoke us down the field and we're gonna be wondering what happened next receiving devonta smith a heisman trophy candidate is playing very very good this season he has 17 touchdowns for 1511 yards he gets on average 8.9 receptions per game that's not how many times he's targeted. That's actual catches for yardage, all right? And he's only gotten, and he has 98 receptions on the year. So he gets about, on average, 15.9 yards per catch. 
and scores a touchdown every 5.8 touches. That's crazy. And scores a touchdown every 88.9 yards. To put this another way, let's compare Devontae Smith to the entire Notre Dame receiving core, all right? Notre Dame's best three receivers are Ben Skoranek, Javon McKinley, and Michael Mayer, in my opinion. Those three men combined, though, have only 10 touchdowns. Devonta Smith, Alabama's leading receiver, has 17. It's, it's almost double what those guys have. And let's not even talk about yards, all right? Yards combined for those three guys, it doesn't even touch Devonta Smith's production for the year. Now, one thing that is interesting is Ben Skoranek, the numbers are actually very good. He has 15.9 yards per catch versus Devonta Smith's 15.4, and he scores a touchdown every five catches compared to Devonta Smith's 5.8, and it has only taken him 79.6 yards to score a touchdown. So technically, the math says that Ben Skoranek is the most efficient receiver Notre Dame has. Between him, Javon McKinley, and Mayer, Ian Book needs to target those three guys, and we need to find the holes. Just read the defense and just throw it, all right? Make the receiver go to the open spot, and that's it. No sacks, none of that crap. I also wanted to compare... Devonta Smith to two other very good Notre Dame wide receivers, namely Chase Claypool from last year and Jeff Samarja from 2005. Those two men had 66 and 77 receptions, respectively, and 13 and 15 touchdowns, and over 1,000 yards for Chase Claypool and over 1,200 yards for Jeff Samarja. Regardless, unfortunately, those those production productive numbers are still under Devonta Smith, and most likely he has two more games remaining. So this guy is very, very good, and unfortunately, Chase Claypool and Jeff Samarja numbers don't even come close to what Devonta Smith is doing. The closest is Jeff Samarja, but he's two touchdowns off now and about 250 yards off as well so um and that was with you know a really good quarterback finally quarterback mac jones versus ian book we really shouldn't even be comparing these two guys all right mac jones has more completions he has slightly more attempts but he's thrown for 32 total touchdowns ian book has thrown a total of 15 touchdowns he's still two away from Devonte smith's overall numbers for the year Mac Jones has a completion percentage of 76% versus Ian Book 64. Um, He throws a touchdown every 15 completions, and his touchdown to attempt percentage is 9.8, right, versus Ian Book's 4.8. He's sacked less than two times a game. Uh, He's been sacked less times than Ian Book. Um, and his touchdown to interception ratio is better. It's eight versus 7.5. And he throws about 2.9 touchdowns per game versus Ian Book's 1.4. So really the only way that Ian Book can outmaneuver Mac Jones is by throwing to the open space in the field and praying that his receivers are there, that we stay good on down and distance 
and we don't ask too much of Ian Book. Mac Jones is not a rusher. He's not a scrambler. He just sits in the pocket when it's not there. He probably just throws it away. But most likely, his guys are wide open because he's got Devonta Smith. So when you put all this together, what's going to happen, Notre Dame fans? We're going to lose this game. It's not going to happen. I know people don't want to hear that, and that's not me being negative. This is me being realistic. I am a real realistic person, and I am going to be the realist, most evidence-based podcaster out there. All right? I will call it exactly how it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to bullshit it. And if you guys are out there you know, snorting pixie dust, rainbows, and unicorns, I'm going to tell you that you're full of shit. Because you can argue with, you can't argue with math, and you can't argue with data unless you are a stupid fool. All right, this is not going to be pretty unless Notre Dame does a few things to overcome the pain that is awaiting for us. All right, look, you don't like this, go ahead and turn it off. All right, but you're going to be you're setting yourself up for disappointment. All right, I'm not here to piss in everybody's Cheerios. All right. But this is this is fact. This is reality. The numbers that I've just described to you clearly illustrate there is a better team with better players. All right. We can try to fool ourselves and sing the fight song and and all this other, you know, bullshit left and right. At the end of the day, they have a better coach with a better winning percentage than we do that has a track record of success in big games. That's what it comes down to. Brian Kelly over the last four years, has done very well. Since the shit show that was 2016, he has certainly turned things around. 2017 to the present has been much better. In that time, he's 43 wins and 7 losses with a .860 win percentage. That's really good. But he has a loss in the Cotton Bowl and a loss in the ACC game and a couple of other very embarrassed losses, Okay. So that doesn't make me feel better to think about some of those losses, and specifically four of them, suck, quite frankly. These are not close losses. Let's compare him to Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney in that same time, since the beginning of 2017 season, is 51-4 with a .927 win percentage, a loss in a Sugar Bowl, beating us in the Cotton Bowl, a frickin' title, and four conference titles— a win in the Fiesta Bowl last year. Oh, and then also uh, losing to in the national championship game. All right. Compare that also to Nick Saban. Since 2017 is 49-4 with a .925 win percentage. All right. Both of these guys are about 93% win percentage versus Kelly's 86. All right. Nick Saban has won a Sugar Bowl, won a title, won an Orange Bowl, lost another title, and two SEC championships. What more do you want, all right? these Compare these to the other, these two coaches and their track record over the last four years. Brian Kelly's best four years is still way better than Kelly, all right? So let's not pretend that Kelly's going to pull out some magic elixir at this point because the evidence and the historical trends that we're seeing from Kelly do not show that. Second and biggest rant of the night. All you Brian Kelly homers out there, you need to stop giving him praise, all right, and comparing him in a very unrealistic manner. He, yes, Brian Kelly has 102 wins. 
in all 11 seasons for a .729 win percentage. But what's pissing me off is I'm seeing people on Twitter and hearing other people podcast, and they're talking about Kelly being the greatest winning coach of all time at Notre Dame. He probably most likely will have more wins associated with his name as the head coach at Notre Dame, more wins than Newt Rockney, who has 105. But he has zero titles and zero New Year's Six wins and nothing worth of note. But these jokers out there are saying that Kelly is going to be the greatest winningest coach at Notre Dame. Are you insane? Are you smoking crack? I am insulted to hear that. He has a .729 win percentage, zero titles, and zero New Year's Six wins. Let's rewind. Charlie Weiss is fired. We hire BK, a guy who just went and, and took his team to the Orange Bowl. Let's not talk that they got their shit pushed in by Florida that year, but it doesn't matter. Kelly comes to Notre Dame. We all thought, hey, this is the guy, and I thought so too, but in 11 seasons, he doesn't win us one New Year's Six Bowl? One? Are you serious? Title? All right. You know, that's always the goal. But not even a New Year's Six Bowl. Come on. A .729 win percentage. Compare that to another coach who had 11 seasons. Lou Holtz went 130 and two ties for a .756 win percentage. Five New Year's Six wins and one title. How about Era Parsegian? 11 seasons, 95 wins, 17 losses, 4 ties for a .819 win percentage, 3 New Year's Sixes, and 2 frickin' titles. Frank Leahy, 11 seasons, 87, 11, and 9, a .813 win percentage, 1 New Year's Six win, and 5 frickin' titles. Newt Rockney, 105 wins in 13 seasons. Granted, these old years, they're only played like 9, 10, 11 games a year, all right? Versus Kelly is getting like 12, 13, all right? Most of the time it's 13, especially in the good years, all right? New Rockney, 105 wins, a .86% win percentage, one New Year's six win, our only Rose Bowl, and three frickin' titles, all right? Oh, and just to rub salt in the wound, let's compare him to Dan Devine. In six seasons, Dan Devine went 53-16-1 for a .757 win percentage, higher than Kelly, two New Year's Six wins, and a frickin' title. So don't tell me that Brian Kelly is this great winning coach. He has not even sniffed Dan Devine levels of performance. Chew on that, you dumbasses. So let's come back down, all right? Can we just hope for the best with this game, all right? Can we just pray that Notre Dame is not going to embarrass themselves on national television again? That we don't have to walk to work at the beginning of the year with our tail between our legs, all right? I have Notre Dame pride, but at the same time, like, when is enough going to be enough? Are we ever going to win a New Year's Six again? The last time we won was in 1994. I mean, come on. Can, can we at least just cover the spread, all right? Let's only lose by 14 points. Is that too much to ask? Maybe I'm being defeatist, but I am also going to embrace reality this time around. 
Let's root for Clemson. Let's root for Clemson to beat the crap out of Ohio State. Can Notre Dame lose by less points to Alabama than Ohio State is going to lose to Clemson? Because I definitely think that's going to happen. I didn't do an analysis of Clemson versus Ohio State because I'm not a fan of either team. But when I looked at the numbers high level last week, Ohio State didn't even belong in the playoffs when you compare to at least the other three teams, all right? The drop-off was huge from Alabama and Clemson, then Notre Dame, and then there was probably like Texas A&M or something. But anyway, Notre Dame's loss to Alabama, I really hope that it's less of an ass-kicking than the ass-kicking that Ohio State is going to get to Clemson. Please, come on, Tigers, be up on the Buckeyes. Let's do it. Because Clemson and Alabama are, are on paper the two best teams and they're above high above and away better than everybody else and is it just because Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are just so great they have 93 percent win percentages and they go to the playoffs and win their conference and they 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 win at least one New Year's Six Bowl almost every year did Notre Dame just hire Brian Kelly at the worst possible time when you have two of the best coaches ever in the modern era that year after year after year just win 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 i mean goodness gracious i mean joe paterno and bobby bowden didn't even have this great of success year after year after year it's almost annoying and stupid as as things go on but by the time that saban and dabo sweeney retire and they're gone and they're sitting on a pile of cash on some beach in florida brian kelly will also probably be gone from notre dame too so can we just be happy? Can we just be happy that Notre Dame is in the playoffs? Can we just be happy that Notre Dame has one more opportunity to play this year? Just embrace this. I'm embracing this already as a loss, okay? I'm not going to be duped. I'm not going to be fooled. In 2012, my innocence was lost. I remember that night very well, being very pumped up, thinking we were going to win just because it was like this manifest destiny, destiny season. I love the 2012 season. I get great, you know, warm feelings in my heart when I think about that season prior to the BCS championship game down in Hard Rock Stadium, right, where Notre Dame got their ass kicked on national television. My innocence was lost. I remember that pain very well, and I think you should too, Notre Dame fan. Also, 2017, the Miami game. That game soul-crushed me, duped again. And then in 2018, when we made the playoffs for year two of Brian Kelly 2.0, I was very distraught after that game too, that that yet again, we had not showed up. We had lost by over 20 points. It was ridiculous. 2020, no way, Jose. It's not going to happen. I am not going to be fooled, and I've already mentally prepared, and I've also actually looked at data, facts, and numbers of how teams that win the title perform, what is Alabama doing, what is Notre Dame doing. The numbers are not even close for Notre Dame, all right? If Notre Dame can maybe make it close, all right, and lose by maybe 14 points, I'll consider that successful, all right? But it's not going to happen, all right? Get prepared for, for some pain, all right? But you know what? You don't have to not watch the game. You don't have to just plug in this podcast right before the game. Enjoy the game. Enjoy watching football. Enjoy another game watching your fighting Irish. That's what I'm going to do. All right. I'm still going to watch the game. I'm still going to 
enjoy it. I'm going to wear green. I'm going to drink beer out of a bottle with my Notre Dame koozie. I'm going to make nachos. I'm going to do all that routine shit that I do for every game because why? Because this is adequately compartmentalized as a form of entertainment, enjoying a hobby that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. I would enjoy it more if Notre Dame won, all right? But I'm going to enjoy being on Twitter with all of you. I'm going to enjoy and maybe we'll do a post-game show, regardless if we win or lose. I don't know yet. We'll have to see how, how we're feeling that night. But the toast this week's is going to go out to the Notre Dame Twitterati, the people on Twitter that I interact with. Those of you that are following the show, or maybe some of you have just dropped me because uh, you didn't like the truth I was just giving you. But you know what? Let's prepare for that future joy slot party that we're going to have. I think we already have a nurse. Uh, we've got, I think, an anesthesiologist. Uh, we've got someone that's in the Catholic Diocese of Chicago. We've got, uh, I'm sure, some lawyers and doctors, some very successful business people. you got some amateur podcasts. There's all sorts of people that I interact with on Twitter. And one day, when all this COVID bullshit is over, we will come to, for real, in the Joyce parking lot. And we're all going to enjoy. But for now, right now, here we are at home watching the games with our families. And you know what? That's okay. Because we have Twitter and we could still interact with each other during, before, and after the game on Twitter. So to the Notre Dame Twitterati, cheers to you guys. Now, Notre Dame can win this game. But three things need to happen. Number one is a freaking miracle. All right? But two... Notre Dame needs to come up with the most gangster game plan out there. I'm talking Notre Dame versus LSU, Music City Bull, put Malik Zaire in, run triple option, a wing T, wishbone, double tight end kind of crap. All right. We have to throw something at Alabama they've never seen, and our offense has to be clicking like no other. Book plays the, the game of his life, Skoranek and McKinley. Each have like two touchdowns, and and Chris Tyree just has a blowout game. Him and Kyron Williams, they're just all over the field. Alabama's defense is weak, so the only way that that happens is if our offense is clicking. I don't see that happening because the last time it kind of happened was the Clemson game, and we keep stepping on our own shoes, and there's lots of film out there for Alabama to shut us down. So the only way Notre Dame can overcome that is by throwing something completely different at Alabama they haven't seen before and they haven't prepared before. Next, Alabama needs to suck. Alabama needs to be full of themselves. They need to make stupid mistakes. They need to fumble the ball. They need to just not be, you know, reading the holes correctly when they're running or passing or whatever. And Alabama just needs to play bad. So two things need to happen. Alabama has to play bad, and Notre Dame has to play really good. I think even then, we're going to need a miracle from heaven for Notre Dame to win. Now, one other thing, Notre Dame fan. The game is on January 1st, which is the Solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God. Notre Dame, our mother, this is the time for it to be a holy day of obligation. Everyone, you better go to church. It's a holy day of obligation. On that feast day, that Solemnity of Our Mother, Our Lady... All right, Golden Dome, Golden Blue, all of that, all right? It is possible for Notre Dame to win. Though the odds are extremely great, 
I don't know if Notre Dame can win overall, but it is possible. Uh, very remote. It's also possible I win Powerball tomorrow too, but hey, um, <laughs> anything can happen. You know, if you don't play, you don't win, right? That's how the saying goes. So my attitude during this game is going to be that I'm watching my Irish play. <coughs> I'm going to be watching it metaphorically in a pub with my friends on Twitter. And I'm just going to enjoy this Notre Dame's last game of this season. I've mentally prepared this. I've, I've looked at facts. I've looked at data. This is what is going to happen. It's extremely, extremely remote and unlikely that Notre Dame plays for a title against Clemson or something, which would be freaking crazy playing Clemson three times in one season. Barf. And gosh, can you imagine Dabo Sweeney? Oh, gosh, shoot me now. I, maybe I'd rather lose to Alabama than have to d watch Dabo Sweeney whine on the sidelines again. Who knows? Everyone, Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to me. Enjoy watching the game, all right? Don't be depressed by all the data and facts and numbers. Enjoy the game and cheer for your Irish and then start off 2021 baptized in reality and good luck on all your New Year's resolutions coming up. See y'all on Twitter. Go Irish. Beat Tide.